But I had this sense while we were worshiping Jesus with music, um, in particular that sense where we, we just were singing and there was no music and we hear the body singing. I had this sense of the holiness of God's bride and that he just loves us so deeply. Ephesians 5 says that the way Jesus treats his bride is that he washes her with the water of the word to make her clean and holy, pure and spotless for this wedding day. So when Anna was talking about this repentance thing, repentance is, is the door to joy. Because when the accuser throws stuff at us, half of it's all true. Right? So the way we don't beat the accuser is to talk our way through it. It's just to say, Jesus has died for me, and I'm completely forgiven of everything I'm guilty of. You know what I'm saying? It's not to talk ourselves into something. It's just to say, whatever. Yeah, I probably am guilty of that. Thank you, Jesus, for forgiving me, cleansing me, and freeing me. And this is the normal thing he does with the body. He washes us with the water of the word and the level of takenness Jesus has with us, his bride, is almost embarrassing to us. If we really felt it, it would be embarrassing. Like, you know what we look like, right, Jesus? All shucks, you know? He loves us. And so, um, as we're, you know, in this Advent season, this is the last Sunday in Advent, uh, we've been going through Advent in Philippians. I just love it, just because it's so unusual um, and not the usual text we, we use. We've been going through Philippians for a couple months now. And so today we're going to talk about that fourth virtue, which is that pink candle there that represents love, that, that Jesus coming, the, there's two different comings we celebrate. We talked about this as the first coming of Jesus, which you just read the texts about, and then to look forward to the second coming of Jesus that awakens in humanity, in creation, the ability to receive and give love. And so what I'm going to do today, Paul says in Philippians, I love this, it's no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. I'm actually going to repeat part of a message we've already talked about, about love, and then extend it a little bit. So you might remember that it, it, we talked about this. This is the prayer that Paul prays at the very beginning of his letter to the Philippian church. And what's fascinating about this prayer is it pretty much sums up the entire content of the letter. It's just deeply, deeply packed. And so, so um, I'm going to read this and then you know, I'll read it and we'll make some comments. Paul prays for these, these people that we've learned all these things uh, 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 over the last number of weeks uh, about the very prayer that embodies this whole thing. He says, this is my prayer, that your love, your Philippian, you're the bride, love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. May God bless the reading of his word. Holy Spirit, we say where you are as we make room for you to speak the words of Jesus into our hearts now. So the last time I talked about this very passage, we focused on this part here. 
that Paul prays that your love abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you'll maybe, maybe able to discern what is best. And kind of putting in our own language, we said, in our relationships, did you know love always has to do with a relationship? It always has to do with the other. In our relationships, to know what to do, make love the goal. Paul's saying, I want love to abound more and more so you'll know what to do. And then he, but he's clear in Philippians what he means by love. And we talked about in this last message that it was sincere, intelligent, Jesus-shaped love. That Philippians 2 love where Jesus lays down his life, considers others' needs more important than his own, to the point of even giving his life away so then the Father exalts him. And so that's what we talked about before. What we're going to look at today is this second half. And what I want to note here is this word and. Okay, so Paul says, I'm praying that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. The first thing is so that you may be able to know what to do. And the second thing is so that you may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. I love, there's a, it's a, one of Peter's letters, he talks about how complicated Paul is. Have you ever noticed this? Paul will pack a lot into one sentence that runs on forever. And that's, so what I'm going to do today is pull this apart a little bit and talk about it phrase by phrase. But before I do it, I want to ask some questions about relationships because we're talking about love. First one is this. Do you have any relationships where you feel like you just can't be yourself? <laughs> That's a courageous man, Shane. I appreciate that. It's like, no, I do not. Do you have any relationships in which there's lingering or chronic offense? Hopefully that wasn't, yes. Are you ever frustrated that a particular relationship will never get better? And do you ever wish the world had a more accurate picture of who God actually is? You ever feel that way? Okay, great. You came to the right place. Okay, so we're going to go through this second half of Paul's prayer just phrase by phrase and see what it builds up to. First thing I want to note is that Paul's praying that their love would abound with intelligence, wisdom, so that they may be pure and blameless. Somehow their loving, love abounding would make them pure and blameless. Now, it's a great way to say this. I've heard it said that English is a lazy language, that we, we use the same word to mean about 32 different things, whereas Greek, which this was written in, is, is a little bit more precise. And so sometimes when you hear a preacher or somebody talk about this, it's because it's hard to get across you know, some of the shades of meaning that are in a word. Paul says pure and blameless twice in Philippians, and he uses four different words to say it. Isn't that funny? It's like, oh, come on, man. But English, it's like, well, we're close enough, pure and blameless. But in this sense, this word pure, the, 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 it's the idea if you held up like a clean piece of cloth and could see sunlight through it. It's transparent. It, it, it's, it's, or maybe you could say clear motives. And this blameless is this idea of not causing offense, not causing someone else to stumble. So, so Paul's saying here that if your love is abounding more and more, that, that it will affect 
your motives. It will enable you to be transparent. It will put you in a place where you're not causing someone else to stumble. Okay, I'm going to move along quickly here. Filled with the fruit of righteousness. And really, when we look at pure and blameless, those could kind of be subpointed under this larger fruit of righteousness. And Paul explains throughout all his letters that righteousness is such a big deal in Paul's work. But in Philippians, he unpacks after this prayer. What does he mean by that? And the first thing we could see is that there is righteousness with God and with people. Think about this. Righteousness is always a relational word. Because you're only righteous or unrighteous in comparison with something else. Does that make sense? So, so, so if you're just comparing with yourself, I guess I'm righteous in my own eyes. But if I'm comparing with Jesus, okay, there's a difference, right? And, and so righteousness is a relational word. And so we see Paul talking about righteousness with God. He says, whatever were gains to me. And Paul had done all this cool religious stuff. He was well respected by teachers of his day. He knew the Bible inside and out. He would go so far as to persecute people who were opposed to his belief set. But he says, whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. I consider everything a loss Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Paul is saying, I'm never looking over my shoulder, wondering if God's disappointed. He's already bestowed on me. Everything's okay between us. But then he talks about righteousness toward people. That there's One of the things that helps me with the word righteous, kind of divested of some of the baggage that's kind of come to me through a lifetime of being in church, is, is rightness. We can have righteousness or rightness in our relationships with other people. And Paul describes this in great length. In fact, this is the very thing that we, that we, that kind of the centerpiece of the whole letter where he's, he's saying, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded. That's what this righteous, right-related living looks like. Having the same love. Being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. We see the pure and blameless stuff there. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset, the rightness, the righteousness as Christ Jesus. Paul says then later in chapter 2, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure. Which is a fun little thought. That did, Is it possible that grumbling and arguing won't let us be blameless and pure? Interesting thought. Children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. So, 
not only do, do we have righteousness that's with God and toward people, but this beautiful phrase that Paul says, this righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. And so we can see two kinds of righteousness, the rightness that happened to us. One is in our being, just the assessment of who we are in relationship to God. And the other is in our doing. See that throughout the scriptures is righteousness in being and righteousness in doing. And so here's how it works. Paul says that we just read this whole passage. Whatever regains to me, I now consider loss. Finish here. I'm not, I don't have a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. This is why when the accuser puts stuff in our head, it's irrelevant what he's saying. The accuser, and even if you're your own accuser, is irrelevant to your righteousness. Because it's the law. In other words, getting myself righteous doesn't work. It doesn't actually, actually work. I can't actually make myself right with God. I cannot do it. Guys, this is the heart of false religion. We've got to get this. This is the gospel. That the only way I am righteous is to go and just receive forgiveness that I don't deserve and total cleansing and everything's okay between me and God. I mean, it's like it, it's not even fair if you think about it. It, like, it. it feels like it contravenes every bit of justice. How is that possible? Jesus took all the justice on himself. It's so in our being, we are righteous before God. We could end the whole message here and just sit in that. It's so important that we get it. But out of that, then, just a few sentences before Paul says this, Paul says, He's, he's, he's saying, beware of those guys who are trying to live by the law. And part of that is being circumcised. He says, no, we're the circumcision. We serve God by his spirit. We have power and we boast in Christ Jesus. We put no confidence in our ability to perform ourselves into righteousness. So what's powerful here is that this righteousness that Paul talks about also has to do with the way we live that is empowered by the Spirit. We're not left to run. Okay, continue along here. This is for the day of Christ. We talked about this at the very first of the Advent. Paul's talking about the day of Christ as the return of Jesus. And I'll, I'll give you this fun little three circles. Anybody know the three circles here? Raise your hands and make me feel good. Yes, I love this. So you already know where I'm going, that the world we look at, it's broken. I don't know anybody who's ever stepped outside of their house. Maybe they never did and they don't think the world's broken. I don't know. But you can see the world is broken. There's all kinds of mess. Injustice, evil, hatred, poverty, war, you name it. And that is not the way God designed the world. He had a perfect design in which he is the king over it. He's running it in this orderly, beautiful way. And that he put humanity on this to co-lead with him. That the unseen God would be seen on the earth through his image, which is humanity. But he also gave us the ability to decide whether we want to participate with him or not. And we decided not to. Off we went. And we call that sin. Sin isn't like just saying, I, it's something I don't like, oh, you're bad. Sin is out of jointness with God, the beautiful one. 
It's always in comparison with God. And what's so beautiful about God, if I were him, I would say, you've offended me, you didn't appreciate me, I'm done with you people. Would you do the same? <laughs> it seems natural and just, but he didn't want to do that. He decides, I'm going to become one of them. I'm going to enter into the very thing that they've done to themselves, which is break this planet. And I'm going to let that brokenness kill me. I'm going to be like absorbing all of it. Because what happened is when we, we rejected God's rule, then we got ruled by our desires. We can't overcome them. We got ruled by Satan, darkness, and just actually like this world system. That's kind of the accumulation of all the mess. And Jesus let it all kill him. And then he rose from the dead. Which means he's the king. Matthew 28 says, all authority in heaven and earth belongs to Jesus. He has won against all the forces of darkness. And so if we turn, that's repent, turn from running our own show and follow him, we get to grow into this perfect design and also go back into brokenness to let others know about it. And so this, and then what we get looked forward to is the new creation where Jesus will return and set everything right. Everything will be set right. So we set up the advent in this space. It's in this space before the first advent of Jesus and the one that's coming in the second advent of Jesus. And we talked about this, that there's a now, not yet tension that Jesus has come and, and he's healing things. His rule has come, but it's not fully here. Anybody notice that? There's still some things not working out so great. And Paul talks about that. He said, he's talking about wanting to know Christ and wanting to, you know, attain to the resurrection. He says, but I have it. Not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal. And I love this phrase here. He says, only let's, I'm telling you all this new stuff, but let's live up to what we've already attained. I mean, technically for most of us, we never need another sermon, <laughs> right? If I could just live out what I know, it'd be doing pretty good. There's a not yetness where I can't live it out. But in the same respect, Paul's looking at Jesus' return to set everything right. And the beauty that we see like in Revelation 20, 21 and 22, that it's also a goal which toward we strive. Paul said, not, only, not that I've already obtained this, I've already arrived at my goal, but I press on. To take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. I'm going to strive out that way. Brothers and sisters, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. It's this idea that, yeah, I won't be able to love perfectly, but I'm already loved, so why wouldn't I push into it? I'm gonna, I want to grow in this. I want to stretch. I, we all need a hill to climb. It, we're so funny as humans, aren't we? We're, we're irritated when we're bored, and then we're mad when there's a hill to climb. <laughs> Boring. This is hysteric. Well, let's do something hard. That's dumb. Anybody know Jesus loves us too much to just leave us all flat ground all the time? <laughs> 
I raise my hand a lot. I don't mean to do that. My children mock me. If it bothers you, I, I get justice at home. So I say, hey, Pastor Guile, do you agree with us? Hey, hey. And this happens like at 6 o'clock in the morning. My daughter are like, hi, Pastor Guile. I'm like, I know, I know. Paul says this in this beautiful thing. He's, he said, guys, do everything without grumbling or arguing. So be blameless and pure. Children of God without fault and warped and crooked generation. Then you'll shine among the, them like the stars in the sky as you hold firm, firmly the word of life. But look at what he's thinking about. What is Paul thinking about in the context? He says, so my ministry will have more hits. So my podcast will blow up. No, he says, then I'll be able to boast on the day of Christ that I didn't waste my time. Paul had a clear idea of where his goal was. What was pulling him forward into the future was the new creation that Jesus is bringing. Okay, last phrase we'll look at here. That all of this, this prayer, that our love would abound more and more in knowledge, in depth of insight, so we'll be able to discern what's best. We may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. Why? To the glory and praise of God. To the glory and praise of God. I think a really beautiful thing that Paul says, again, that we just looked at this. He says, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in the middle of a warped and crooked generation. And then you'll shine among them like stars in the sky. We should be the least grumbling and, play, and complaining people on the planet because we want to demonstrate what God is like. Because we have a hope. We have the hope and certainty that new creation's ahead. We have a goal. This isn't just going to go bad. It's not true that this is all just going to go to hell. Actually, we're going to go to heaven. Or actually, heaven will come to us. I mean, that's the future that we have so that grumbling and arguing don't make sense. So, Paul prays that our love would abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that we'll be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness, that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So a way we could say this, just kind of expanding on the, our, our own language uh, of what Paul's praying here. In our relationships, to know what to do, to be transparent, to be beneficial. In other words, the opposite of making someone stumble. To be righteous in who we are and how we act and to demonstrate what God is actually like. Make love the goal. Paul is baking into this thing that if we love aboundingly with sincere, intelligent, Jesus-shaped love, that's going down. I didn't make it up. I'm just kind of going phrase by phrase through what he said. This is what he's praying. And so we can look at these questions. Do you have any relationships where you just can't be yourself? Shane does not. He needs no help in this. Make love the goal. 
I, I, I told you about this story when I, I was meeting up with some guys in the city who were like more well-known and powerful than me. And I was really nervous about it and thought, I can't be myself with these guys. And I had been giving this sermon the last time. And I thought, what if I went there to love them however I can? And I wasn't insecure. You know why? Because I wasn't the center of my thought life. <laughs> I thought, how can I bless this dude? He's a dude. And it was really fun, actually. I was like, this is kind of fun. Oh, I can tell he's as insecure as I am. How do I make him feel better? How do I make him feel like he belongs here? I mean, it was awesome. How about this? You have any relationships in which there is lingering or chronic offense? Make love the goal. I mean, what does that look like? Well, you might have done stuff to offend somebody. How can I best love them, like it says in Philippians 2, considering another, one, another person's needs more important than mine? How do I love them in imitation of Jesus, that we try to be of the same mind, of the same love? Now, I get it. There are some prickly folks that you are just going to offend no matter what you do. I, I, there, there are people in pain or whatever the thing is that it's like it's just like walking on eggshells. But I promise you this, if you'll make love your goal there, you'll at least be able to know you're doing everything you can do. Does that make sense? At least, at least I'm doing what I'm able to do in this relationship. Even though it's being misunderstood, I'm just going to lay my life down and try to love this person. Okay. Are you ever frustrated that a particular relationship will never get better? Make love the goal. Paul, Paul tells us, and we know that there's a not yetness to everything we're experiencing on this planet. That there's, there, there's just some things that aren't going to get as good as we want. I was so impressed that the Casty family somehow got all their adult children to read the scriptures. Guys, your mom is over the roof, I'm just telling you. I thought, Jewel has got to be so happy right now that all her adult children... That, that, that's a, that was a rare play. Well done, Cassie children. That was loving your parents well. But have you, ever, have you ever had that Christmas that didn't go just like your mom hoped it? I think that's all of them, pretty much, you know. You ever frustrated that a particular relationship will never get better? It's okay to just... Embrace reality that this may not be just as perfect as I want it to be. But at the same time, can we strive forward into the goal of the new creation? That we don't just quit. That Jesus is coming to set all things right. So should I just quit? I don't know if we should. Roger used to drive me so crazy. Because he wouldn't give up on people. I'm like, dude, the guy is literally kicking you in the face. Let it go, man. I think he's not going to want to hang. And he's just like, no, I think we can love him through this. I think, we, you know. And he's a lot more like Jesus than I've ever been. <laughs> sometimes it actually works. It doesn't always, but sometimes it does. The new creation, it will. How about this? You ever wish the world had a more accurate picture of who God actually is? This is actually possible to affect. Make love the goal. It's actually possible to affect. 
It's not whoever the crazy people. The, you know, only, only crazy people get headlines, right? You know, the absolute extreme of whatever end it is, like, you know what they're saying in the Christian world? They're like, what? No, we're not. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that at all. I didn't know what that means. But I'm telling you, if there's a flesh and blood, blood follower of Jesus who's consistently trying to love someone else, that is the strongest apologetic for who God is. By far. In fact, this smart guy named Jesus said, people will know that you're my disciples by the way you love one another. Because it's so hard to do. There must be a God. We totally can affect this. It doesn't really matter what media is happening. It's irrelevant. People in our lives that we get to love get to taste Jesus. I'm telling you, it, it changes everything. And this is, this is the Christmas message that God didn't send us a memo from heaven that I still love you. This will work out eventually. I mean, he identified with this. Have you ever had somebody that you're in a conversation with and other people are noticing this and you're kind of like, yeah, I don't want to be identified with this person right now because I know what they did before and I know you know what they did before and I'm trying to distance myself. Has that ever happened to you before? And you know what Jesus does? He leans in further and says, I'm identifying with you. I'm going to lean in hard right here. So I'll take on all you're there because I'm coming with love for you to, you could experience forgiveness of Jesus if you wanted to. You could experience new creation in your inner world. And you don't have sin cooties because I've already been uh, forgiven of all my sins. And the sin cooties, don't, you don't catch those. Our righteousness is bestowed. We have power to live out a righteous life. So, in our relationships, to know what to do. We're not going to memorize this sentence. I'm just kidding. We're not. <laughs> In our relationships, to know what to do, to be transparent, beneficial, righteous in who we are and how we act, to, de to demonstrate what God is like, make love the goal, sincere, intelligent. It's a prophecy. Some of you know why that's happening right now, right? That's our worship team not listening to the message and watching the World Cup right now. I'm not joking. <laughs> is anybody recording it and you don't want to know what the score is? Okay. I'll keep it shut for the responsible people. All right. Hopefully you just remember, this, this is like the best ever. World Cup championships in this sermons make love the goal. <laughs> I haven't watched a single World, World Cup game. I had no idea. The only way I know is when, the, when I was going back to pray with the worship team, the lights were all out and they're all around a laptop. There was no praying going on. It was all the World Cup. Okay, so how, how do we actually live this out? Guys, we have got to know what love actually is. You've heard that phrase, love is love. It's not true at all. Love is what God, who himself is love, defines to be love. Does that make sense? 
It's not a moderate, you know, whatever, or indulgence of another or something like that. It's that love that we see in Philippians 2 and 1 Corinthians 13. Think about this. The first descriptor of love in that famous passage of 1 Corinthians 13 is love is patient. I mean, that's not a rom-com line at all, is it? Love is dazzled. No, love is patient with annoying people. Think about it. That's not a natural one. We've got to learn what love is. We've got to look at this thing and understand what is Jesus' love right now. I am so grateful that it's this way because I can't work up emotions for certain situations and people. But I can act like Jesus does. And you know what I found a lot of times? That when I act, in the moment, I feel the love of Jesus flooding me. I feel his delight in me. It's like so many times I can't wait for the feeling to come to act because that's not really what it is. It's the act of the will. If I'm going to love you and lay my life down for you, and all of a sudden, I had this, it's happened to me actually yesterday. I could sit there and feel the delight of my father. He's like, I'm so proud of you. I know, and I'm like, man, you're overreacting because this isn't as hard as I thought it was. But I could feel his delight on me because I chose to love. The others rely on Jesus, love, righteousness, and power. We cannot do this. He's the one who funds the whole thing. He loves us. Our love is response. He's the one who makes us righteous. He empowers us to do righteous behavior. That You've got to get that right or the gospel is not good news. He's the one who makes us righteous and out of that we act. He gives us the power to act. And an easy thing to do is it's just, we got a prayer. We can Paul, pray Paul's prayer. He covers this whole thing in just a couple sentences. We can pray that for ourselves. So here's a little thing we can practice. Think of a relationship that has tension or confusion in it. And if love were my goal, what would I do next? We're going to take one minute to ask the Lord on this. Because I'm pretty sure if you've got one of these, it's going to show up fast. So Lord, will you show us right now if there's a particular relationship where you want us to make love the goal? In a particular way right now, Lord. Awesome. Write it down and ask him how to do the next thing. Maybe just different. Maybe he's starting to pray. Maybe making a phone call. I don't know. Uh, let's stay together. And we're going to pray Paul's prayer over ourselves. So we'll just pray this out loud together, which is simply Paul's prayer that we had and just a little bit of language change so we can apply it to ourselves. Be ready? Jesus, please make your love abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight in me so that I may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Amen. Love you guys. Make love the goal. It's the week, man. It's game time. It's Super Bowl. You're going to have a lot of chances not to love. Okay, so let's love.
Sound good? Be prayer. Come on up. We love you.